Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. We're continuing in our series entitled Advent, the Unexpected King. And today we're going to discuss a joyous time between two women. And the title of the message is Encouragement Among Believers. Please enjoy. Luke chapter 1. If you have your places in Luke chapter 1, I'm asking you to stand, respect, and reverence the Word of God. We're just going to begin reading in verse number 39, and we're going to read down to verse number 45. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse number 39. Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. The title of the message this morning is An Encouragement Among Believers. An Encouragement Among Believers. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for all you've done for us today. Dear Lord, I pray that you would bless this service. Lord, I pray that you bless the Word of God, bless the preaching of the Word of God. Pray that the power of God would fill this place and that you touch every single person in this service this morning. Be with us, Lord. Help us to clear our minds and hearts to accept the seed of the word of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. A lot of times, something new is preceded uh, what, What precedes something new is silence. A lot of times silence comes before something new. I mean, just just think about it. Before God said, let there be light, there was silence in the void of the deep. When the Lamb opens up the seventh seal in the book of Revelation, the Bible records that there will be a silence in heaven. The old creation passing away and the new creation about to begin. In fact, before the resurrection of Jesus, before his new life, Jesus was silent before his accusers. He stood before Pilate and Pilate looked at Jesus and sarcastically asked him the question, what is truth? It was a question that Jesus was silenced on because he he couldn't answer it yet. But he did answer it once he resurrected. He looked at Thomas and he said, I am truth. A lot of times before something new, before a new beginning, there is silence. But you know, sometimes silence can be scary. Silence can be unsettling. Silence can be depressing. It can be worrisome. Silence can be ominous. Silence can be painful, but one of the most ironic things about silence is silence can be deafening. It can be. Don't believe me? Go to sleep tonight with your box fan off. And that will prove to you that silence can, in fact, be deafening. 
There are many silences recorded in the Word of God, but there's probably no silence in the Word of God as prominent as the silence between the Old and the New Testament. Let me set the scene for you at the end of the Old Testament. The Jews are back in Israel. The Medo-Persian Empire still rules them. The temple has been rebuilt. The line of Aaron, uh, the priesthood of Aaron, has been restored. The Jews have finally, finally, finally given up their worship of idols. But it's not all sunshine and rainbows. The Jews are still messing up. The Jews are mistreating their wives. They're not tithing. They're marrying pagans. They're neglecting the temple. They're not teaching the people the ways of God. In God, uh, in in short, uh, the Jews were not honoring God. And because of that, God shut this thing down. No more scripture. No more prophecy. Hundreds of years of silence. In fact, four hundred years of silence. And not just that, I want you to know that God left, God left the Jews of the Old Testament, left them on a cliffhanger. The Old Testament ends in one of the biggest cliffhangers in the Bible. The last verses of the Old Testament say, Behold, I am going to sing you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and strike the land with complete destruction. And what a cliffhanger. What what a cliffhanger. I mean, before the Lord comes back, the Old Testament says that Elijah is coming again. And, 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 and then nothing. And then God just quits speaking and this perplexed the Jews. You know, even today, at, at every Passover, the Jews leave an empty seat for Elijah. The Jews take a cup and fill the cup that goes untouched and is prepared for Elijah to come back to tell them when they can expect the coming Messiah. This still happens today. And on top of this whole Elijah thing, the Old Testament ends with a curse. Some Jews back in the old Septuagint days, they would try to rearrange the verses at the end of Malachi so the last word of the Old Testament would not be curse. But that's what it was. And then guess what? Revelation stopped. Prophecy stopped. Scripture stopped. No more books of the Bible were being written. Yes, there were some books written during that time, but none of those books line up with Scripture. None of them have the authority of Scripture, and and, and none of them even claim to be Scripture. The world was on hold. But listen, the silence of a curse would be broken by the cry of a blessing. Because there was a prophecy that was to be fulfilled that took 700 years to be fulfilled. A prophecy in Isaiah, in Isaiah 43, which says, The voice of one calling out, Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. A cry in the wilderness. A prophet 
broke the silence. A prophet that brought new revelation from God broke the silence. He broke the curse of the prophet that had one foot in the Old Testament and one foot in the New Testament. This prophet who would come in the spirit of Elijah to proclaim the coming king, his name is John the Methodist. No, John the Baptist. Was John the Baptist? He came. Listen, some things about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a Nazarite from birth. He had the Nazarite vow from birth. He never touched a dead thing. His, his hair went uncut. Uh, uh, John the Baptist lived in the wilderness. He wore camel's hair. He ate locusts and wild honey. Jesus said himself that there was no greater man born among women than John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the precursor. John the Baptist is the forerunner. John the Baptist is the voice crying out in the wilderness, make way for the Messiah. He's coming. This is, a, this is a great man. But where did his journey start? Where did, really, where did really things really begin to kick off in the New Testament? Where did this journey start? This journey started in the temple in Jerusalem with a priest named Zechariah. You see, Zechariah was of the sons of Aaron, so he could be a priest. You see, that's why you have, the, the, you have the, 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 those in the tribe of Levi. They didn't inherit any land, but they were to take care of the temple, and all the other tribes were to take care of them. And in the Levites, you had the Levites, and then you had the sons of Aaron. Just because you were a Levite did not mean you could be a priest. Only those who were of the line of Aaron could be a priest. At this time, the nation of Israel had 20,000 priests. So what they did is they, they split those families up into 24 families of around about 1,000. And each family would have two weeks a year to serve in the temple. During that time when they would decide who would do the, 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 the acts or who would perform the ceremonies at the temple, they would cast lots to decide who would get these jobs. Well, the lot fell on Zechariah to, to offer the evening incense offering. Now, I want to let you know this is a once-in-a-lifetime task. Once you were chosen to do this job, your name was taken out of the lottery, and you never got to do it again. And some people would never, ever do this task so for Zechariah, uh, uh, offering this incense offering, it, it was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Now, where was this uh, altar of incense? It was in the holy place. The holy place is the second most holy place in the temple, the first being the Holy of Holies. But the Holy of Holies can only be entered in once a year on Yom Kippur. But the holy place sets outside the holy of holies. The altar of incense is right in front of the veil that separates the holy of holies. And that's where the holy place is. Now what would happen is Zechariah and two other priests would enter into the holy place. And once everything is set up, the other two priests would leave. In another section of the temple, uh, they would be preparing the evening lamb sacrifice. And once that lamb was sacrificed, Zechariah would get a signal and he would know to throw the incense on the altar. When he throws the incense on the altar, the smoke would come out of the temple and the people would know to begin praying. 
But while Zechariah is in the holy place, and while he's performing this duty, the angel Gabriel appears to him. And Gabriel appears to him and says, your wife is going to have a son. But here's the thing, his wife, it was past time for her to have children. It was physically impossible for her to have children. And so what Zechariah did is he questioned God, but it's more than questioning God. God looked at the heart of Zechariah and God knew that Zechariah doubted his word. So Gabriel said to Zechariah, because you have doubted my word, you are struck mute. You shall not speak. And listen, there are some scholars that even believe he was deaf as well that he could not communicate at all. So Zechariah was in this place for a long time, and he was taking a long time, and people were wondering what was going on. And then when he came out and couldn't speak, people knew that he had saw, the, saw a vision, that he couldn't speak. So he couldn't communicate what he saw. Then he went home, and Elizabeth became pregnant. And Elizabeth, who, who didn't have any children, who was past the childbearing years, she became with child. And she said that God had taken away her disgrace. Why did she say that? Because in that day, in that culture, which, by the way, was a pretty misogynistic culture that Jesus came to change. In, in that culture, if a woman did not have a child, uh, it was a shame. It was actually a divorceable offense in the Jewish culture of the day. But she was pregnant with child. But listen, Gabriel, Gabriel was a pretty busy dude because, well, it wasn't a dude, it was an angel. I didn't, angels don't work that way. But, uh, but listen, angel was, uh, Gabriel was pretty busy and Gabriel came and appeared before Mary six months later. She came to, he, uh, Gabriel came to Mary and, and looked at Mary. And, and Mary, who was of the descendants of David, was going to marry a man named Joseph, who is a descendant of David himself. She was going to marry this man. But the angel looked at Mary and said, you are going to have a child. And, 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 and Mary questioned, but I'm a virgin. But wait a minute, didn't Zachariah question? But, and Mary Mary asked in belief, Zechariah asked in unbelief. You see, God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. And Mary looked at the angel and said, how could this be? I'm a virgin. How can this be? And Gabriel said, you will conceive of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And that child that you will have, Mary, will be called the Son of God. And then Gabriel told Mary something. She said, your cousin, he said, your cousin Elizabeth, she also is pregnant. To prove further that God can do anything that he wants. And Mary said, may it be done according to your will. Well, now what does she do? What does Mary do? I mean, she, she had graciously, she graciously accepted the word of the angel, but now what? Mary's not stupid. 
She knows what being pregnant out of wedlock in this society means. It means that she could be stoned. She could die. She she could be an old maid for the rest of her life. Her parents could throw her out on the street where she could be homeless and and she could uh, be broke. Most women in that situation turn to prostitution just to pay the bills. At this point in Mary's story, She has not breathed a word of this to anybody. What Mary desperately needs is she needs connection. Mary desperately needs somebody to understand what she's going through. Mary needs somebody who won't judge her, who won't be judgmental, who won't be critical, who knows what she's going through. She needs someone to understand her. She needs connection. So what does she do? Well, the angel pointed her in the right direction. The angel told her about Elizabeth. So she set out to see Elizabeth. Now listen, visiting family back then is not like visiting family today. Number one, there was no telephones, so you could not announce you coming to visit. So a visit from family was always a surprise. Isn't that nice? Another thing about this is travel was an issue. So once you got where you were going, you stayed there for a while. Imagine, if you will, your family shows up at your doorstep unannounced. And when you ask them, how long are you going to be here? Which is code for when you're leaving, okay? When you say, how long are you going to be here? They say, we'll be with you for three months. Bless God. Isn't that just great? Isn't that just awesome? But that's how things were back in this day. But listen, this, this, this encounter with Mary and Elizabeth will be our focus in this morning. Listen, you need to be encouraged by me. And I need to be encouraged by you. And we need to encourage each other. That's how God set this thing up. And one day, the Lord is going to put something on us that's bigger than ourselves. One day he's going to do this. And God set this thing up where we can help each other. Mary is going through something bigger than herself. Elizabeth is going through something bigger than herself. And these two women needed each other. So these women carried out three actions in this meeting this morning that I want to focus on. Here's number one. First action, confessing, confessing. Read verse 43 with me. And now has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me. Immediately upon receiving the news of Mary's pregnancy, immediately upon this, Elizabeth confesses that the unborn Christ is her Lord. And you know what's absolutely amazing about this is the, what little bit of information she actually had before she made this confession. I mean, just think about it. At the end of John's gospel, we're told about a man, uh, an apostle named Thomas. And Thomas had been with Jesus throughout his ministry. And Thomas had heard all the teaching. Thomas had heard all the preaching. Thomas had seen all the miracles. He ate the fish and bread of the 5,000. 
3,000 and the 4,000. Thomas had seen it all. Thomas was there. He was there when Lazarus had been rose from the dead. He was there when demons were cast out. He was there when people were healed of sickness. When lame got up to walk, blind eyes saw. But Thomas, it wasn't until after Jesus died, was resurrected, and stood before Thomas, before his very eyes, that Thomas confessed that the Lord is my God. But Elizabeth calls him Lord before he's even born. And that raises a good question. How much do you need to know about Jesus before you confess him as Lord? Raises a very good question. Elizabeth had never heard of his teachings. Elizabeth had not seen the first miracle. Elizabeth wasn't there at the baptism when the voice of God came down at the baptism of Jesus and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Elizabeth wasn't there for that. Elizabeth didn't see him on the Mount of Transfiguration when he stood there in his glorified body with Moses and Elijah. Elizabeth didn't see that. Elizabeth knew nothing of the work on the cross, how it brings us peace with God. Elizabeth never saw an empty tomb. Elizabeth did not see Jesus ascend into heaven. Elizabeth did not read one word of the New Testament. She, the Gospels, she never read them. The letters of Paul, she never read them. The words of Peter, she never read them. She never once stepped foot in a New Testament church. All she had was one simple life changing truth that this child that Mary's having is the son of God. That's all she knew. That's it. But armed with this truth, she confesses that the unborn child that Mary is carrying is her Lord. She didn't have anything that we have. She didn't have anything. But yet she confesses Christ as Lord. With everything that we have, how long is it going to take you to come to the same position? How long is it going to take? J.I. Packer says this very well. He says, the incarnation is in itself an unfathomable mystery, but it makes sense of everything else the New Testament contains. The incarnation is God becoming man. Now listen, me and you can say those words, God became man. We'll never understand them. There's no way that us in our human finite minds can wrap our heads around and fully understand the concept of an eternal God becoming man. We will never, ever understand that. But if it's true, it makes sense of everything recorded in the New Testament. If this unborn child really is God in the flesh, then who would be surprised that he performed miracles? It'd be more surprising if he didn't. If this unborn child truly is God in the flesh, who would be surprised one day that he would rise from the dead? It's actually more surprising that he allowed himself to die. If there is no Christmas, there is no Easter. And if Jesus really is the eternal word, it's no surprise that he would stand up one day and say, I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. 
So yes, the incarnation is an unfathomable mystery, but it makes, every, it makes sense of everything else in the New Testament. So Elizabeth, pregnant with John, is given the single truth that, that, that Mary's child is the Son of God, and she confesses her, he, she confesses Jesus as her Lord. She says, if this child is God, then he is Lord of all, and if he is Lord of all, he is Lord of me. She confesses that. Number two, I want you to see these women rejoicing. These women were rejoicing in verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. This, this whole scene with Mary and Elizabeth is chocked full of joy. I mean, listen, Elizabeth heard Mary's voice and the baby began leaping for joy. Now, listen, we all know around six months of pregnancy, uh, you get start to get a little movement. When me and my wife first got married, we had a very tiny apartment, 900 square feet, one bedroom apartment, a very tiny bed. And, and she was pregnant with Colin and we'd be laying there at night and Colin would just be kicking, just kicking me in the side all night. I didn't mind it. I thought it was pretty cool. But we all know around six months, the little babies start kicking. But listen, this wasn't a normal kick. Verse 44 says, Behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. The Holy Spirit implanting joy into the life of this unborn child. That says something about the life of an unborn child, does it not? I believe that it does. Think about it. And Elizabeth, full of joy. Why is she full of joy? Because she's filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does she do? Filled with the Holy Spirit, she blesses Mary. Verse 42, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of my womb. Verse 45, and blessed is she who believed. The word blessed is all over these verses. And it can be repeated in a rhythm. So there are some scholars that say that the words of Elizabeth are actually a song, which would make it one of five songs that celebrated the life of Jesus. Elizabeth, Mary, Zechariah, because he eventually did believe, angels, and the song of Simeon. So Elizabeth very well could be the first person to sing the very, very first Christmas carol. Here's what I want you to see. I want you to see this. Confessing Christ as Lord will increase your joy. Confessing Christ as Lord will increase your joy. These women confessing Christ one to another, it led to their rejoicing. It led to their hugging and smiling and, and loving each other. They broke out in song. They were filled with joy. The more they confessed Christ, the greater that their joy was. Yet when we confess Christ, we confess Christ when we get saved, of course, but it doesn't stop there. We continue to confess Christ. See these smiling women. 
see them standing at the door, loving each other, hugging each other, uh, giving each other testimony of what God has done in their lives, you can almost taste the joy in this situation. Confessing Christ will increase your joy. Let me tell you this. Everything you hold back from Christ will make you less happy. Everything you hold back from Christ will make you less happy. And to the degree you give yourself over to Christ will be to the degree you have joy. You will find greater joy in your life confessing Jesus as Lord than you ever will confessing yourself as Lord or confessing yourself as master of your life. How did Jesus put it? He who saves his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake, for the gospel's sake, will find it. So confessing, rejoicing, and number three, believing. Believing. Verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Elizabeth says to Mary, Mary, we serve a God who keeps his promises, Mary. And you need to believe that. You need to believe that we serve a God who keeps His promises. And these two women are standing at the door and they're encouraging one another and they're building each other up in this amazing promise of God. Listen, this must have been lonely days for Mary. Who else in the world would believe her? She would go up and say, I'm pregnant because of the Holy Spirit. And people would be looking at her like, Okay, that's kind of crazy. Who else would believe her? Who else would understand what she was going through? But the angel pointed her in the right direction. Elizabeth also miraculously received a son. So Mary makes her way to Elizabeth. And the Bible says she makes her way with haste in a hurry. She needs someone to talk to. She needs someone to understand. She needs someone to connect with. Eventually, Joseph would have a dream and Joseph would know all these things. But this is early in the story. The only person who could understand what she's going through and strengthen her in the faith is Elizabeth. And in this story is an inner working of the Holy Spirit. In this story is a truth which is a mechanic in the church. And the mechanic in the church is God brings people who confess Jesus as Lord together so that we can encourage one another in believing. That is why we are here. That is why we have these pews, why we have this pulpit, why we have this building. This building isn't the church. Me and you are the church. And God set this thing up where we can encourage each other in believing so that me and you can do exactly what these women are doing. So many times we say, look at what these men are doing in the Bible. Look at what these women are doing in the Bible. Lord God, if we had more men like these two women. Building up each other in the faith. Building each other up in the Word of God. This fellowship in those who confess Christ is how we get joy. One writer put it like this. Fellowship on earth is the closest we can get on earth to the joys we will know in heaven. 
That's a wonderful, wonderful thought. That this right here, this fellowship between us, it's heaven on earth. It's the closest thing we'll get here to heaven. Fellowship is a means of grace, which means fellowship is one avenue. It's one channel in which God gives us strength and help. He brings us into each other's lives, those who profess Christ so that we can encourage one another and build one another up in the faith. And that's why he did this thing. That's why we have this thing called church. That's why such a thing exists as the body of Christ. So we've got three themes, confessing, rejoicing, believing. Now I've got three questions for you. Question number one, do you confess Jesus as your Lord? Can you stand with Elizabeth and say, Jesus is my Lord? Because let me warn you, if Jesus is Lord of your life, then your life is no longer your own. You don't belong to yourself anymore. In the words of Mary, if you are his servant, then everything you are, everything you will be, everything you ever hope to have belongs to him because he is your Lord. And listen, the path that he's chosen for you might not be the path you wanted, might not be the path you accepted, but is a path in which you will find great joy. It is a path through which he will fulfill his purposes in you. It is a path through which he will walk with you. There is freedom and joy in unconditionally surrendering to Jesus without reservation. There's a freedom and joy in that that you cannot understand unless you do it. But there's more. Because the Bible says in Romans that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. That means you, by the power of God, you are delivered from the power of the devil. He will deliver you from guilt. He will deliver you from the condemnation of your sin. You will never face judgment for it. You will be brought into a new relationship with God where he is your father. This realization of Elizabeth, if he is God, he is Lord of all. And if he is Lord of all, he is Lord of me. Confess Jesus as your Lord today. Question number two, are you rejoicing in his coming? Are you rejoicing in his coming? Look, these two women are facing enormous difficulties. I know that there are men and women in this building this morning. You are facing enormous difficulties. Look, these two women, they were very pregnant and they were very poor. Mary, one of them didn't even have a husband. One of them had a husband. For all intents and purposes, he was disabled. They had great, enormous difficulties. Just think about the pressure that was on Mary. Unimaginable. You know, you, you know she knew what it was like to be an unwed teenage mother in the society, this misogynistic society in which she was brought up in. But where did the joy come from? 
The joy came from Jesus. It's where the joy comes. Are you saying today, however difficult my life may be, however difficult my life may become, God is with me, God is for me, and God keeps his promises. Even the promise that he's coming back. Even the promise that one day every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Even the promise that one day I will walk with Him on streets of gold and I have an eternal home in heaven. All those promises will be fulfilled. Man, is that not a reason to rejoice? Number three, will you be encouraging others in believing? Will you be the one who encourages believing? In order to do this, you must not only believe, but you must put it into practice for yourself. Zechariah was a man. He served in the institutional church. He served in the temple. He was recognized for his position. But when the word of God came into his life, he didn't believe it. He didn't mix it with faith. Zachariah couldn't minister to his own wife. He couldn't minister to his relative Mary who'd come seeking fellowship. A great, great work was being done. And this man who could have been in the center of it is on the sidelines. He's on the sidelines. Why? Because for all of his hearing the Word of God, he never mixed it with faith. And listen... If that can happen to a priest like him, then that can happen to people like me and you. So, we go into Christmas focused on ourselves, focused on our own problems, worried about, number one, looking in a mirror and not submitted to Jesus. And you know, I look at Zechariah. I look at this guy who's on the sidelines. And I say, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be this guy. Why would I want to be like that guy when God offers me the joy of these women? I'd rather take the joy of these women. Now listen, in the end, Zachariah was delivered by his faith. Will you be delivered? 